and girls, children of all ages, ghouls and freaks and geeks and ham bones. I'm here. Welcome to another edition of the greatest geek podcast in the world. That was a very sharp ending right there of our theme song. I should not switch apps so quickly, but welcome to my Thai happy hour. We are here live once again to entertain you, to excite you, to bring you all the cool knowledge that we, I don't know, vomit every single week. Hambone, what do we have for tonight? We got a lot of cool things on the menu for tonight. We've got a very special guest, and he is the gentleman behind the This Was The Scene podcast. We're going to talk about Walking Dead and what's currently going on Walking Dead as lapsed fans. We're also going to talk about Harry Potter and the Cursed Child because I just saw the play last week and I am stoked. And most importantly, we've got the Punk Rock Cannon, which we're going to talk about Lagwagon's Haas. I am so excited to talk about Lagwagon's Haas because I literally found out we're doing Lagwagon's Haas 10 minutes ago. There's definitely mixed emotions with Lagwagon. They will be the first Fat Records band that we talk about on this show. Is that really the first Fat the, Records band we're talking about? Yeah, I mean, when have we done Fat Records? You're the only right. modern stuff we've done was Rancid and the Offspring. That's right. And Bad Religion. And Bad Religion. But we have not done anything modern from, uh, from Fat Records, so I'm excited about that. You want to know what's funny? I thought... For the first Fat Records, we probably would have ended up going with something no effects. So this is a really nice dark horse. This is better because no one likes no effects anymore. Yeah, right. They kind of did cross some lines. Anyway, joining us today on the phone is Mike Doyle. How are you doing, sir? Hello. Hello, world. Everybody out there in the ether, we are excited to have you on. Uh, I've been a big fan of your podcast for the last few months. My friend Chuck... Chuck Nasty told me that this was the podcast to listen to. Uh, a couple, of, like maybe like a year or so ago, I became obsessed with trying to get weird punk bands from my youth on this show, and I failed miserably. I was trying to get the lead singer of One Nature, who reached out to me on YouTube like four years ago to thank me for posting a video of them, and I just never like took down his information. None of it works anymore. And Anthony from Felix Front, I've been trying in vain to get him on. He looks like two towns away. I know. I just we just can't make it work yet. So I'm trying to get those. Two on because those were two of the bands that really uh, molded my punk rock youth as far as local scene stuff. But uh, Mike, again, thank you for joining us today. We're going to talk a little bit about your podcast. We're going to talk about uh, the contribution, your contribution to the punk rock canon, Lagwagon. But first, Hambone, give us a cocktail. I need a cocktail. So you know what's cool? I have been for the last year going through Beach Bunbury's book and Beach Bunbury's app and getting my cocktails out of there. Now, one of the things I wanted to do is change it up a little bit this week. So this week, I'm using the Dead Rabbit drink manual that I got a few months back and I'm finally cracking into. That is, What is it about? Is it just a different group? Is it a bar? Yeah, so the Dead Rabbit is a bar in New York City. Okay. And if this is drinks that were made by their bartenders, variations on classic drinks, updates of classic drinks, some new stuff as well. And what's really cool about this is it's a little bit different than your typical tiki drink. And that's why I like it. So this drink that I'm gonna talk about today is called the Straits Sling. Now is it like a Singapore sling? It is a Singapore sling. This is the more original traditional version of the Singapore sling. You know, they say that Beach Bumberry. He casually understates in his 2010 book, the Singapore sling has taken lots of abuse over the years. Like many exotic colored mixed drinks evoking foreign ports of call, they were in style and then they weren't. So, of course, what matters to the dead rabbit is not changing fashions, but whether it tastes any good. So the Singapore sling, like the Mai Tai, is one of those drinks where bartenders 
And most people in the populace seem to like the name more than they like faithfully reproducing the actual ingredients. So what we have here are the actual ingredients for the straight sling, also known as the Singapore sling. All right, hit us. So what's cool about this is something very different than I've heard in cocktails before. They're starting off with a half ounce of lemon sherbet. So you could actually just get lemon sherbet at the supermarket. Mm -hmm. You put a half ounce in the drink. One and a half ounces of Bowles Genevieve, which is a gin. A half ounce of cherry herring, which is a style of brandy, which has got a nice cherry flavor to it. A half ounce of Benedictine. Now, these are also known as monks, but this is also a liquor traditionally based on brandy made by the Benedictine monks in France. A half ounce of Kirsch Eau de Vie, mm-hmm. which I think I'm pronouncing right. And what that is, is a brandy distilled from the fermented juice of cherries. So this is a very chevy, cherry-heavy cocktail. Now, three dashes of dead... Now, most of the time, cherries are a bad thing. You put grenadine in a uh, in any sort of cocktail and you get scared. The li- get really living scared. shit out of you. Yeah, it's, it's really... I was once told that cherries are only good in slot machines and virgins. So this is something a little more apropos. Three dashes of dead rabbit, orinco bitters, or you could just use Agnostora aromatic bitters. So you don't have to use their brand of it. However, if you got it, great. One and a half ounces of rhubarb soda which is something I think you're going to have to make yourself because it's not exactly something you're going to find in most supermarkets. And what you do is you add all the ingredients except for the soda and the garnish to the shaker. So you fill it with ice and you shake, strain it into an ice-filled tall glass, add the soda on top, and then sprinkle fresh grated nutmeg on top of that, which I think always ties a cocktail together very, very well. I agree. I agree. Uh, speaking of books, I know that Beach Bumberry recently re-released Sippin' Safari Ooh. as instead of a, a paperback, he's released it as a full-size hardback. It's available on Amazon right now. It's kind of pricey. I think it's around 40 bucks, but it is like the hardcover like masterpiece of, of all his uh, mid-era work. And uh, for those that don't know, Mike, uh, Beach Bumberry is the quintessential cataloger of all great tiki drinks. He spends all his time trying to find the authentic recipes from back in the 50s and 60s of the greatest tiki drinks on on Earth. So I guess I know what I'm buying myself this holiday season. Folks, if you're looking for this recipe, you can find it in the Dead Rabbit Grocery and Grog Drinks Manual. Uh, It's been out for a little while. It's noted as the best new cocktail and bartending book of the year 2016. Check it out. So let's talk a little bit about uh, about you, Mike. Again, pleasure. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, again, I, I was I was brought to your uh, show. I was brought introduced to your show by my friend Chuck, who I was talking about the first seven inch I ever got, and it was in 1994. I was waiting in line in City Gardens uh, to see Rancid and the Bouncing Souls, I believe, and. This guy named Steve uh, sold me a seven-inch called Manifest M N F S T, who later would go on. I, I soon got an email afterwards where I reviewed his seven-inch, saying, "Oh, we are now shower with goats," and I <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, let me see what's going on with shower with goats these days." And you had just interviewed Steve, who was going under a different name than I remember him going under back when he sold me that, but. That blew my mind a little bit. I'm like, wow, someone's going deep, like deep cuts of the 90s and really, really enjoyed uh, really enjoyed your podcast. Uh, I listened to the Brian Malloy episode and uh, as well as the recent one you did, I believe, with uh, – was it Flipside Fanzine or am I completely wrong? Oh, yeah. yeah. Alan, Alan Pop- used to work at Flipside. Yeah, PopCut. Yeah, Pop- awesome. So I, I want to talk a little bit about uh, to you about your podcast. Again, great concept. Tell me a little about your background. 
where you came from. Uh, I know you are from New Jersey and a little bit about why you decided to uh, create This Was the Scene. Yeah, it's just so weird because usually I'm the one asking all the questions. So it's so odd <laughs> to get like asked shit like this. <laughs> yeah, I grew up in Jefferson, New Jersey, which is right off of Berkshire Valley Road, which is right off of Route 15, which is next the road that um, actually not 15 goes into 80, which goes into the Rockway Mall. So if you're from Jersey, you'll get that whole reference. If you're not, you're not going to fucking understand anything what I'm saying right there. Yeah, we grew up in Jersey. I wasn't really big into punk rock at all until like, I was like 17 and all my friends started to like find all the records, you know, they went to, so that the, the Alan Flipside interview is very significant because he's the reason why all my friends found, like kind of stumbled across punk rock and emo. Uh, he, uh, he introduced that to us and then, you know, we had got our licenses and we're like, we need to get the hell out of Jefferson. So we drove to, uh, Pompton Lakes and started buying records. And then, so in that drive, we would just be in our cars driving around, listening to records and punk rock and getting out of Jefferson. And then me and my buddy, Chris just, uh, decided like, Hey, let's, let's start playing music. Cause Chris had been playing music for, he'd been like writing poems and crap. And he learned guitar when he was really young. And then we became friends in high school and we started a band. How, what era, what, what year was this around? So see, 97 is when we graduated high school and 96 is when, let's see, 93, me and Chris got together. We, 93, me and Chris became friends. And then within that year, I found out that he was into writing music. And I think within that year, I bought a bass. We, we, we formed a band called Congress of Cow in like 95, 96. So it was like right around that era when we were about juniors in high school. So let's let's fast forward a little bit. Let's talk a little about the podcast. I mean, there is something to be said about like the fact that our era, especially us they're around 40 right now, long for a time far forgotten now, 20 years gone by. Uh, is there a reason why you decided to focus on that part of your life? I basically I, I so I have my own business and you think when you work for yourself, everything it's like, it's like the dream, right? You mm -hmm. know, it's everyone longs for that. Oh, you know, I don't want a boss. I want 95. And I found that by the end of last year, I was just kind of bummed about it because it wasn't like, it wasn't my voice. It wasn't my passion. And I'm a really passionate person. I ended up like someone across somebody who became kind of a mentor. And he said, Hey, you know, every year, write down on a piece of paper, you know, five or 10 things you want to accomplish this, this year, because if you write it on paper, it'll make it more real. And then I was thinking in my brain, I was like, okay, what do I want to do? That's not business related. That's just a passion that I can go a little bit deeper. I want to play a show and I want to, I don't know. I was like, I want to do something fun. And I, I made my theme for the year fun. There's the North Jersey pop punk Facebook group that I'm involved in. And we started in 2009 and People just started posting patches and stickers and, and pictures of all these things from back in the day. I, I can remember to detail a lot of stuff from when I was even from when I was like five. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I made a post. I was like, hey, does anyone want me to make a would, would anybody be down to listen to a podcast about the scene? And it was just like, 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 like. And I said, OK, I'm onto something here. And um, I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> and I just wrote a list of 10 people I'd want to talk to from back then that were local and just talk about New Jersey and talk about that whole time of my life that I, I, I absolutely loved. And it just kind of just, it just took off where people were 
really excited about it. And, uh, and I was excited about it. Like, you know, when you guys are interviewing people, I get this, this like entire thing of energy. I completely get that. I think, I think a lot of it is the topic. What type of, yeah, what type of nostalgia do you feel for that area? I mean, look for, for us, it's something we constantly talk about. The music we listen to (laughs) is from that era. The shows we go to, the bands we go to are from that era, especially the New Jersey scene, which was very different from any other scene in this country uh, in that period of time, like 95 to 2000. You know, how did you stumble across that? I don't know, honestly, I really don't know. It's kind of funny because as I'm doing the episodes and as I'm watching people, they feel connected to it. I, I'm kind of dissecting it a little bit. And as I'm looking around in just general, I think there's something to being because I'm 39 and I think there's something to being close to 40 that there's this milestone. If you look back 10 years, you're kind of close to it. But if you go back 20 years, that's when we were teenagers. That's when we were discovering everything. There, I just kind of stumbled across it, and I said, yeah, I, "There wasn't like this this vision of I need to talk about punk rock. It was I want to talk about something I'm passionate about." And I think that that part of my life, if I now that I think about it, it was the moment that catapulted me to never want to work for anyone again. It never want it, I never wanted to you know quote unquote as I call it like sell out uh, who I was. I wanted to be authentic about anything. It almost like accidentally went back to the point where I kind of decided that I wasn't going to change who I was and where I decided who I was. And it just happened to be the late nineties punk scene because that's what changed everything for me. I I can really appreciate that. And and a lot of what you're saying to me speaks to me on a lot of levels because you and I came up in the same scene together. That being said, what I love about your podcast is you're creating a roadmap and you're telling a lot of stories and a lot of memories from the other side of the scene. Now you easily could have, just told it from the perspective of different bands. Like, you know, recently you had uh, Ian Grushka from Newfound Glory, and clearly Newfound Glory is a huge band. However, the perspective that you bring to it is that, you know, when Newfound Glory was coming up, they were our band. They were playing yes. locally probably more than they were playing in their home state. You know, that, that that's the kind of thing that is what differentiates your podcast and what I appreciate most, and I think the fans of your podcast really do appreciate most, is that they do get the other side of the coin, not just the guy standing on stage, it's the person standing in the front row being a part of it. Because for people who came up in the scene, when we came up in the scene, when when we say it's our scene, you know, I mean that with every fiber of my being because it did. It right. felt like everything belonged to us and everything was really small and then really big. However, we were never not a part of it. Yeah, and it's weird too because the the new direction I'm going in now, it, it opens the door up to talking to the bands that influenced us. And some people might listen to the newer uh, interviews and go, "Well, who the who the hell is that?" But they or like I know who they were, but I didn't actually listen to the record. So it's it's not like I'm jumping up to like just talking a bad religion, right? Because that's it, it, there's such a disconnect too, and I think there's a disconnect too in, in having that conversation because when you talk to those bands like that. I think they're kind of burned out of it. It's like they did it so much that there's no connection. So when I started doing it, it was, let me talk to my friends and like, what did we think about this? And and like, and it kind of just organically happened. Like Chris Badami in my first interview, he was the first guy who recorded our Congress of Cow demo tape, and then he recorded Lamar stuff, and then I ended it with like Chris, who was in my band, and it kind of just was this. If, if anything, if, if the podcast goes to shit, it's almost like I feel like I've got this like great uh, like 
first album almost because it's so I think beginning to end that first season is so to me I love it and I love listening to those records those it's records Christ those those interviews like records those interviews because I love hearing about Pelak talk about what he saw from it's like what was his aspect of just going to shows but not being in a band and then talking to Jay Jerkoff who just showed up to these shows in West Orange and Teaneck and all these places and like he cared but it's like he was like you guys are taking this way too seriously and then talking to Alan Rappaport about selling these records to kids when they walked in and then talking to my own bandmates and say hey what the hell made us implode as a band and it's like they're such great topics and anyone outside of New Jersey could give a shit but it's the people inside of New Jersey that are so like oh my god like we saw all this but now we get to dissect it like, it's fucking awesome. What is it about New Jersey that's so different than everywhere else in terms of the punk rock scene? It's what was what was created out of none of us realizing what we were doing. And all of us are still wide-eyed and, and talking like high-pitched, like, oh my God, about that era. What was the worst venue that you played when you were playing around and gigging in New Jersey? Uh, I think the Palace was just the worst for the stairs. Oh, yeah. I don't think I've ever been um, to the palace. Where was that? It was in Boundbrook. <laughs> yeah. It was in, we played there after the flood. Yeah. I mean, Boundbrook, they should have just <laughs> kept it dead after the flood. That place was terrible. I, I think out of any venues that were the, ugh, I think obsessions and connections were those two, like, ugh. <laughs> yeah, both were pretty bad. Obsessions was worse because of the mirrors. Connections was just disgusting. They were they they sucked because I think those are the same venues like the Stone Pony and Stone Pony was great if you want to go see a big show, but if if you as a smaller band to play that show, they're like you have to sell sell ten tickets at ten bucks a piece, and that's the only way you're gonna play. So that stands out to me as being a piece of shit. Um, and I think that Connections and Obsessions kind of did the same thing, didn't they? Well, no, uh, Connections was never pay to play, but Connections, you'd have to like go next door to Dunkin' Donuts to take a shit because they <laughs> never, well, they never had toilet paper on the men's room, but they also never had a toilet seat after a certain year. So that was, uh, it was pretty wild times back then for everyone. What's the best show that you played, uh, in New Jersey? I, the best Jersey show I've ever played literally happened in July. Like, and it's, it's not referencing back then, but. That was this July when we got back together and played. Like, that was bar none the best show we've ever played. I mean, that was taking the entire nostalgia of the podcast and putting it into one room where the entire room was just, wow, we're actually going to live in this space for the next five hours and we're going to see these bands play. It was, it was, it was nuts. So, what bands are still on your bucket list? I still want Ricky Supporter from uh, Bomb Shelter. Um, he's not a band, but he's, he, he promoted so many shows back then like if you could if you were like if you had a choice between fat mike let's say of no effects and ricky supporta i'd be like ricky supporta but fat mike's ricky. not part of this scene but it's a it is it is a part of the scene because it's the influence and I, that's where the direction's going I, I i guess the thing is for me the scene was less about the bands and more about the people putting it on like even like Toby from H2O would be the perfect interview for this type right. of thing. I think of more people that were like helped drive the scene a little bit more. Andy Partridge yes. would be a perfect yeah. interview yeah. for this. What the, wait, who is the singer of Kill Your Idols? Uh, no idea. Yeah. Um, they're a little too hardcore for me, though. I've seen them a million times. A little hardcore is a little above my pay grade. Rick to life, though, I could see on something like that. Rick to life. So here's the thing, though. that 
Andy West. He was the he was the singer. This is the thing that I started the podcast with. It was this is my rules, my idea, and I'm gonna go where I want to go with it. And that's hard, especially when people start to like something, right? And I think it's it's like when a band puts a record out. They were sitting in their room and they're writing fucking songs, and people. It became their album. So when the band starts doing the next album, everyone's like, you got to do this, this, and this. And it kind of skews just letting them do the thing because no one told them how to write the first record. And to go with the second record, it's a different story because you know it took their entire life to write that first one. And then it takes like a year or two to write the second one. So the next part of this, I need to find a balance of making myself happy because I'm, 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 you know, doing this shit at like nine o'clock at night. Like you guys, you know, you're doing this fucking eight o'clock at night and wanting to interview people and then ask them questions. Cause like, I don't want to get into interviews with people where I'm kind of like, dude, I honestly don't even know who the fuck your band is. <laughs> but I, I have to sit here and try to make, ex, be excited about a record that like, and you've got 10, I didn't listen to one out, one fucking song. Finding that balance of that. I mean, also, now that there is, you know, there are people who like it and they have opinions, not saying to them like, hey, fuck you, like I'm going to do this, but finding like a nice balance to say, all right, cool, like let me let me hear some some suggestions on this. But at the end of the day, if I don't do that, I hope you don't get pissed off because it's like your vision, everyone's visions of this thing is like no one was there when I started the vision of this thing. So it's like it's like finding the non-dick way to say like I'm gonna kind of do what I want, but I'll be open to opinions, kind of. What's more punk rock than that? Yeah, and it's hard, you know. It's like I kind of got some slack a couple weeks ago for talking about selling merch to support the thing, and I was like, "Wow, is this already starting?" Yeah, fuck that. And I got kind of pissed off about that. I was like, "Seriously, like." Fuck you. So I got <laughs> so I got one last question because this segment's going super long. Yeah, sorry. Man. What was the moment that the scene died, and it did die? What was it for um, you? I, I mean, I left. So I think it was around. For, I left New Jersey in two thousand September first, two thousand one, and moved to LA. Mm-hmm. And I came back March fifth, March first, two thousand four. And when I came back, at that point, it was. It was dead. So I don't know what the hell happened in between there, but it seems it was probably around 2002 to 2003 from when I talked to Dave from Taxi Cab because they were trying to do some um, uh, some shows and they were like, yeah, dude, it was just it just changed. So I think once the once the sound changed to that whole emo core or that like screamo thing, I think that's I think it was around 2002. I think it was when the melody bar dro- died. Yeah, it's it's or it, Handy Street. It's definitely uh, for me uh, surrounding stuff like that. Melody bar, Eminem Hall was like the last bastion of halls in New Jersey that were doing shows, and then they stopped. Then we're not doing shows at Eminem Hall anymore. So I think once the halls stopped yeah. doing shows, there was no there was really no more all ages scene because everything was everything was muscled out or closed. Uh, yeah. I, I would probably say either that or when Wetlands closed. I think Wetlands was the last was of like the trilogy. Dude, that was like '98, though. Yeah, that's when that the was... scene died for me. I mean, the moment rap, the moment like the, <laughs> that's when it like started for me. The moment rap rock started and like emo, like screamo <laughs> took off. When did uh, when did the fucking horrible emo band with the violins start up? That was like oh, two. Th- 
Yeah, that was when it died for me. But I, George, I, I, possibly. I mean, it was like look, it was a window of what ninety three to like ninety seven. Now, our, see, our scene was a little later than your scene. Our scene was totally later, and it's it's funny because I respect that though because people would come to our shows with the Liberty Spikes, and you know they're like, "What is this bullshit?" And then we're now going to those, or we were going to those shows, being like, "What is this bullshit?" I mean, it just trends, and now I'm sure Taking Back Sunday is showing up to shows, be like, "What is this bullshit?" You know, it's it's. <laughs> People can argue that 82 is when music died. People could argue when 70 is like when, they, you know, it's like there's always going to be that argument. There was, well, it's not an argument. It's, it's, there was, I mean, for me, it was backyard shows. And I don't remember backyard shows happening past like 99, 98, 99, like real backyard shows, like Andy Partridge throwing backyard Andy shows. Andy Partridge throwing backyard shows. Like I just don't remember <laughs> decent sized bands playing like that type of stuff that far out and uh, to be fair we everything moved into vfw halls which never had a really good sound system or like it it was weird it was a weird mix of like at at the time at least in 94 95 96 you were able to go see rancid play the roseland one night then see them play coney on high the next night and then they'd show up at someone's backyard the next like the third night i just didn't see that as much in like 99 2000 maybe it existed in 98 no yeah no it it was still it was still going strong in 98 99 2000 and it was a funny thing where you know if you had a pa your band was guaranteed to get on any show because you would show up with the pa they'd have to let your band play so that's how i explained the dharma bums to everybody uh, the dharma boys but i guess that makes sense hambone i now understand why you were in such shock that I saw a bill that was Weston, Doggy Dog, Vision of Disorder, Order, Shelter. I yeah. can understand now because I don't think that existed in 1999. No. By then, yeah. by then, I'm sorry. Like once Earth Crisis became big, the scene became so fragmented into. Well, that's a different era. That's a different scene. That was hardcore and straight edge. I mean, that's where everything broke off into branches. Yeah, that's that's shows that I, I didn't go to. I know nothing about those shows. See, I I, so I couldn't not avoid tough it. Enough. Like I couldn't avoid it. I'd see Rocket from the Crypt playing with like mouthpiece. Right. But that was, and I I do think that was a little different, and where things got a little definitely got more genre defined as we got out of the 1990s. And I'm sure if I saw the same exact path you did, I'd be on the same exact I'd probably be being like, yeah, dude. Yeah, and to be clear, I'm not saying your scene sucks. I don't know. If, <laughs> no, I, I still it. think no, it's no, I, I still I, think it's the same scene. <laughs> I mean, a yeah. little bit more mascara, but I mean, still the same scene. I mean, hey, whoa, no, 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 no. We were not mascara. That came. That was aimed at me. Scene. That was aimed at me. That was oh. aimed at him. Oh. Shots fired, oh. guys! Right oh. across the yeah. bow. All right, so Mike, you you brought forth Lagwagon's Haas as your selection from the Puck Rock Cannon. Can you tell me a little bit why? Let me just give a little bit of background. This was Lagwagon's third album, released in 1995 on Fat Records. We're almost at the anniversary. It came out November 21st. Uh, this is the last uh, album with Sean Dewey. I don't actually remember who he is. Also, I didn't know that um, that they had a drummer that died in 2005. Did you know that, Hambo? I did not. It was Derek. He died of a heroin overdose. He was also the drummer of the. He was the drummer of the Atari's first record. So he he got kicked. He got kicked out of her left lag wagon and went to the Atari's. And I think that's after that's when he died. Haas was the first album I received for free from Fat Records for my fanzine. Really? It was actually one of the first promos I ever got. I remember getting so psyched to get it. Uh, I also soon after interviewed Jesse from Lagwagon at Coney Island High when they played with um, 
Uh, they played with like 88 Fingers Louie and a bunch of those type of fat records. It may have been a showcase for fat records for CMJ. I do enjoy this is so this is the only Lagwagon album I like. I gotta be a hundred percent clear on it. It does have violins on there. It has Thank God as, I chose that. <laughs> it, it has Razor Burn. It has a whole bunch of really great songs that kind of straight away from the punk a little bit and definitely uh, sounded more well produced than their previous stuff. Uh, Mike, tell us a little bit about why you love this album. I love this album because it, it's funny. Running the podcast, people can they're like bands will be talking about all these albums and like, uh-huh, yeah, okay. All right. I really don't know what that is. But Haas is like around the time where my friends were getting into it. And I remember listening to it. This is one of the records we listened to on the way to going to Flipside. And it was always in the background. But one day I finally said, All right, let me just buy this record. Let me buy this and let me buy trash. Let me buy duh. I think I bought them all at the same time. And they were so great. But there was something about Haas that kind of had that I think I was so used to radio songs. There's this like welcomeness to anything that's on the radio because they construct it that way. And without them doing that, I think they, there's something about Haas that was just this opening to like violins is such a great intro to just accepting this band. And that's what it did for me. And then the rest of the ra- the album and, and there's a lot of these songs I'm looking at on Spotify right now. I forget. But I just remember just beginning to end. It was just so awesome. And like there's. How many songs? 26 songs on it? No, I don't think there's like that. 20, 14, 14 that tw- tw- 22 songs, if I'm looking at Spotify. He, I, he might be looking at the... Uh, so later on, uh, Fat Records released a all their Lagwag albums as double vinyls right. with all the bonus and B-sides tracks. So Got he's it. probably okay. looking at that right now. I really, really enjoyed Lagwagon because they did not do the normal shit fart jokes that no effects did. You know, there was a joke back then that every fat records band sounded like no effects. Right. Oh yeah. And I don't disagree. I think no use for a name really live up to that. I think they're, they're definitely propaganda before they became like hardcore ish and they definitely skewed more hardcore later. I think Lagwagon, as long as you like Joey's vocals, which are a little tough for some people to like. I, I think they definitely are the best of the fat record bands, at least of that era. Yeah. I mean, I think that, and I think some people would probably argue that Strung Out is one of the one of the best hmm. out. Strung Out's a well. tough one. Strung Out's they a tough They have like, such a diehard fan base, it, it blows me away. So but. Strung Out was also on that bill. Strung Out, I, I find they have songs I enjoy, probably from the fat comps, but I don't. I can't name you a single Strung Out song. So that's something to be said about what I think about Strung Out. Uh, Hamba, what are your thoughts on Lagwagon's Haas? No, I, I agree with you with the Strung Out comment, definitely, because that's one of the things that for an album to make the canon, you know, if you mention that band's name, you need to be able to name at least a song or what the hit was. I could not tell you a single Strung Out song. I, I love this record. It's funny because the reason I actually bought it was for the cover because I grew up watching Bonanza. You are the only person in the world who has ever said that. That's um, no, I'm, that's true. That is insane. I can't believe We're you just dropped cat. that. No, but that's. I mean, it's funny because I was in I was in the record store. I was looking at it, and I saw the familiar face of Hoss on the cover, and I was like, I fucking love Bonanza growing up. And I was like, I'm just gonna buy this record. Like, I never heard Lagwagon at that point. I actually bought the album because I was a fan of Bonanza, and. uh and then I, I love the record. I put it on and, you know, violins is like the second track. I hit violins and it just, I blew through side A super quick. I flipped it over side B, went even faster. And I, to me, that was the moment when I realized that bands like this, you just need to either buy the, like the CD or the cassette because their songs are so quick 
I mean, most songs they're they average about three minutes a song, but it just doesn't feel like three minutes a song. This song, the album goes by in a blink. I, I you see, I disagree. I thought Haas was definitely a weightier album than their first two albums. I do think the songs were a lot longer than they were beforehand. I think it's partially because they're more musically, uh, I, I don't know, more musically composed, I don't right. know if that's fair to say. Okay. I, I do think that there is something to be said about that. I'm trying to confirm it, I can't, but I, my favorite Lagwagon song is Wind in Your Sail, and I'm almost positive it is a B-side off of Haas. Uh, I can't seem to figure it out, and I don't want to look dumb on 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 camera trying to find it. But you can do that, Hambone. Thank you very much. I'm googling it. Uh, I I think "Wind in Your Sail." Regardless, okay, even if it's not on that album, "Wind in Your Sail," particularly the version Joey Cape does on his acoustic album, the split with the guy from No Use No No Use for a Name, is the best uh, anti. I don't want to say anti-female. That's kind of wrong. Anti-girlfriend, like, you broke my heart. Fuck you. I hope you die song ever written. And when he plays it acoustically, it is so much more powerful because you just feel how hard he eviscerates her in this song. I mean, it is just, I mean, lyrics like, hold on, to witness every step and when you trip, I will cherish it. Hours of madness, years of dysfunction, the deepest embitterment, no wills to strive or achieve, finally in breakdown, perpetual fall to your knees as you crawl back to me. I live to watch you fail over and over and over again. I live to watch you fail. It is the greatest breakup song ever in. I Argue think, that. I No, I, I think that actually gives Radio from Alkaline Trio a real run for its money. When all he wishes is she takes a radio into the bath with her. But yeah, wow. Yeah. I don't know, man. Radio is... <laughs> that song is pretty brutal. Actually, that song is not even about a girl. It's actually about a guy. Well, there you go. <laughs> oh, poor. Well, it's about a. It's not. No, it's about a friend of his. That uh, it was about their drummer. So then I still win because that that still <laughs> is one of the great. Because that is a breakup song. Unless the uh, person in question here is gay, which is okay. But you know. The, no, no, it was not. It was like he, the guy. Uh, like think he like fucked a friend's fiance and uh, sent a uh, a box full of shit to the dr- uh, the bass player of Jets Brazil. Well, that'll do it. So, Mike, do you, <laughs> Mike, do you? Vo- so, what we do, Mike, here is we uh, we're gonna put this tomorrow up on our Thursday up on my Facebook profile because I have the most of my own weirdo punk rock friends, and we will let them vote for whether this deserves to be in the punk rock canon. I will tag you so it's shared over your wall so your friends can vote too. And after a week or so, we find out whether it deserves to go in or not. We vote ourselves. We can vote now. Uh, but the masses are what really matter. So right. that's what we're going to do. Uh, what are your handbone? What do you think? Does this go into the punk rock canon? You know, as the guy who bought it simply because he liked the cover, uh, I think it goes in the punk rock canon. I think it goes in the punk rock canon because this was, to me, the standard of what the Fat Rex sound should be. So, wind of your sail, wind in your sail is on the double vinyl B sides version of Lagwagon's Haas. So, definitely check it out. I think that song should be in the canon. I don't think this album deserves to be in the canon, only because violins and that song are the only two songs I really love. Well, there you go. Even though it is a great Lagwagon album, I I struggle to put Lagwagon. I don't know. I struggle with Lagwagon a lot. I just struggle well, with them. Also, it, the scene died in like 92 for you. So. Oh, <laughs> shut up. It died in like 98, <laughs> maybe 99. Uh, well, come on. For you, it didn't die. You just moved away. So it doesn't even, you don't even have a good answer for that. <laughs> yeah, I left it. I was like, fuck this, man. Mike, do you, does this go into the punk rock canon? 
So the punk rock cannon is a positive thing. It, it is a positive. Like you're going to launch it into infamy? Is that like? What well, the punk rock thing, I mean, it's only according to us, but yeah. we're right about everything. So there's that. <laughs> this is the canon. This is like the, our grandchildren will be listening to Lagwagon Toss or not. Uh, I think it definitely should. I think, I think it's, it, it encompasses that time, that era very well because the sounds and I think it was the way that he was taking lyrics, like you said, for that song, which actually I never even heard this song before until you said that. So I'm actually going to listen to this afterwards. But I mean, that's where things started. I mean, I think I'm sure things went that way, that way. But I mean, things went really in this dark way of saying, like, fuck you to girls after that and, around and, that period. And to be fair, this album came in, out in 1995. So it does fully fit into my era of seeing and New Jersey, look again. Thank you, Mike. Stay on the show. We're going to talk. I want. I want to hear a little bit about Hambone's adventures into the world of Harry Potter. People at work have been freaking out trying to get tickets to this thing. The first thing we need to know, uh, my friend Albert needs to know, if you're in the balcony, can you see okay? Yes, you can see okay if you're in the balcony. So Harry Potter and the Cursed Child uh, started out uh, as a book of a play that they were going to launch in the UK first, and then eventually it made its way over to the United States. Now, the tickets to this play are incredibly hard to get. Now, for those listening at home, Harry Potter is the biggest book in the world. If you don't know about it, Google it. Harry Potter is my one of my favorite books of all time. I love the movie series. I love everything about Harry Potter. I've got a Harry Potter tattoo, and I really wanted to see this play. However, I I just I couldn't get tickets when the tickets first went on sale. A friend of mine had someone they were going with that at the last minute bailed on them, so I happened to get a ticket. I was in one of the last rows in the theater, and you could see everything. There's a part where something happens where a, uh, a thing flies below the balcony, but other than that, it's definitely worth getting tickets to this, even in the balcony. Now, what the story is about, the story takes place 19 years after the events of the final Harry Potter book. So he's now Mr. Potter. Now he's Mr. Potter, if you're nasty, yes. And he, it's about his children and about his child going off to Hogwarts and kind of living in the shadow of the most famous wizard in the world. Uh, it has to do with time travel. It has to do with a lot of magic and a lot of you know father and son emotions and, and family dynamic. And what I really loved about this play was it's done at a place called the Lyric Theater uh, on 43rd Street in New York City. They actually went in and spent the money to retrofit the theater to make it look more like Hogwarts on the inside. It's not the old Lion King Theater. I honestly don't know because I, I never I never went. To, I'm not very much a guy who goes see Broadway a lot. So I mean, it was really? Harry, no, it was Harry Potter. I mean, yes, I want to see Wicked like real bad, but no, uh, I don't really go to see Broadway uh, shows Wicked, too often. Wicked's awesome, by the way. That's what I hear. I'm <laughs> yeah, very excited so. about that. Love the Wizard of Oz too. So it's my wheelhouse. Magic shit. So they retrofit the theater on the inside to look a little more like Hogwarts. It's super cool on the inside. They have super cool merch for it. And the play is broken up into two parts. Now, this is what throws a lot of people. You're not just going to go and see a play that has multiple acts and then you go home. The play has multiple acts and an intermission, and then the play ends, and that's just part one. And then you have about an hour and a half to wait, and then if you can get tickets for the second part, you go to see the second part. So it's very possible that you'll get tickets for only one part, that's horrible. I know, what? and that's and this that's is the worst gimmick I've ever heard. Fucking so stupid. And this that's, sucks. That's, <laughs> so this is such a money grab. That is the this that is, like is the, my main gripe like the, with it. This is like the '97 scene. 
Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. And that's and that's my gripe with it. I was luckily lucky enough to have tickets to both parts. That said, I got you have to get there an hour before show's time. So showtime is two PM for the first show. So I got there at I think twelve thirty. And by the time I got done actually seeing the entire play, I was walking out of the parking garage at ten thirty at night. Because it's essentially like you're watching a two part movie like they broke up the last Harry Potter movies into. However, I don't know that really works great for the theater because, you know, I've been to Broadway shows before, like when I was younger. And I know that by the time you get done with the Broadway show, because it's a wildly different experience, you're kind of done. Now it's like, oh, I just watched this entire play. Now I have to go piss off for like two hours and then I have to watch another play. And so it was a little bit grueling. The seats were a little uncomfortable. However, they do magic really well on this show. There's a lot of special effects, a really great like time travel effect that they do. A lot of things where, you know, they do kind of magic-y type things on a lot of Broadway shows, a lot of sleight of hand. They've perfected it for Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. So if you are a pothead, two Ts, you want to go out there and make sure you definitely check this play out. It is impossible to get tickets to. My friends who got tickets got them a year ago. So just to be sh clear right now, my friend Albert was buying tickets today. There are tickets available. I think maybe during the week you might be like... Well, no, I think that, that there are tickets available starting uh, end of the month, December and January. But up until this point, there was no tickets available. And any tickets you could get were like 700 bucks. And to be very clear, Hambone's such a big fan, he walks around with a candle following him above his head. God, I wish that was the case. So I've never been to a Broadway show. The closest thing I ever came to was Evil Dead the Musical. Oh, I've seen Evil Dead the Musical. I think that was off-Broadway. Off-off-Broadway, yes. I don't think you could really... I, I hate musicals. Right, so this is not a musical. I hate singing. There's no singing. In theater. They don't sing their feelings in this, George. No. It is. They're telling a story. It's, well, here's the thing. So it's very dramatic. And if you've read the book, the book is very heavy in drama. Yet, because it's Broadway, a lot of things that they do are very tongue-in-cheek. So there'll be moments where they're kind of giving you that emotional mo point. And then they kind of pull back and make a quick quip. And everyone laughs and they kind of move on. So it's it's awkward in a way because... I'm like, I'm here for it. I'm just give me the emotion. I've I've read Harry Potter, I've watched the movies. I know bad stuff is happening. You don't have to make an awkward quip to deal with the fact that you are very uncomfortable in that situation because that's what I do in real life every day. So I don't need that on my Broadway show. I, I, I don't know how you did it. I think this is it. So you spent six hours to watch a movie, to watch a play. Um I got nothing. Well, technically 10. 10 hours. If you break it all down. Yeah, I spent about 10 hours. Had a lovely, lovely lunch at the Olive Garden in Times Square. <laughs> now, could you have bought tickets immediately afterwards? You have to sit through a break. So you don't sit through the break. You leave. You have to leave the theater, and then you go back in. That's like pure balls right there. That is pure balls. <laughs> Listen, man. Like, If you can get away I with it, it's a crime of the century. I love Harry Potter, and I, I can understand how you went back in, but goddamn, that's... <laughs> there was a point, man, where I got back in. You're like, you better bring Dobby back, man. <laughs> yeah. There was a point where, during the second play, it's like the, the intermission of the second play, and I'm like, holy shit, I still have one more act to go. <laughs> I've been I've been at this theater for like ten hours. I've never even gone to see the Marvel movies like all in a row leading up to the next Marvel movie. I'm just, you know, it's it's a, it was a new experience for me. I think it's horrible. The reviews. What do the reviews say about this? Uh, people love it. 
No, 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 not not the show, but the the way that that's done. I've not really read any negative reviews that people kind of care about it either way because there's just so. Because what if you can't get tickets Harry to the Potter's second day, half? Then you're boned. You're gonna see the first play, and you have to go back later the, to see the second. The, this sounds like a wedding that's like eight hours away, where the ceremony is five hours before the reception. So there was so there was a couple in back of us during the first play, and they were complaining because no one told them that they could get an assisted listening device because they couldn't. For, the woman had problems hearing, so she couldn't fully hear what was going on on stage because there are some slight quiet parts. However. Towards the end of the first play, I could hear it doubling because she turned the volume all the way up in her headphones. So I kind of heard what's going on on stage. Then I heard it like slap back to me a second later. She wasn't there for the second play. They couldn't get tickets for the second play. So she was just, she just saw the first play and had like a terrible time. I want to read the Yelp reviews. I think that's what we may do on next week's episode. There you go. So speaking of completely switching gears to zombies mm-hmm. to finish up the show and finish up our, put a lovely bow on our October of horror. October of horror. I uh, I look as we all have heard. I'm a lapsed Walking Dead fan. As am I. Uh, I also am lapsed from the comic book. I really only much like how their rating spike happened. I'm one of those people that decide to find out how Rick Grimes died. I right now want everybody who does not want to be spoiled, who's still watching Walking Dead, the few of our listeners who still are, who don't want to know any more. Please turn off the show right now. Yeah. I have I haven't read the comic book since like they did the time jump a few years back. Uh but it AMC did this so well. They have been hyping the end of Rick Grimes, the last episodes of Rick Grimes. They let it leak that he had canceled, you know, he was no longer going to be on the show. His contract was up. They've been milking this for five episodes now. And I sat there and fucking watched these episodes because I want to see how this goes down. And they fucking. I don't even know where to go. Just for the listeners at home who want to hear what happened and aren't do have no interest in watching this, they wait till the very end. I mean, he has this moment where he like saves everybody. He he gets these horde of zombies to come to him on this bridge and he blows up the bridge, causing everyone to die on the bridge, saving his entire village from destruction, looking like he has also blown up in this explosion. And like everyone's sad in slow motion, screaming and crying. You're like, oh, this is pretty fucking impressive. The whole episode leading up, it's flashbacks and inner drama and inner turmoil and Shane's back. And you've seen the bodies of everyone that's died and will die. And it's so deep and moving. And then like right, they might as well have done it post-credit. They have some helicopter come out of fucking nowhere. Get to the chopper! Find the Rick Grimes' still alive body, carry him away and say, don't worry, we've got you. You're going to live. And at that moment, AMC drops a press release on all journalists saying, hey, Andrew Lincoln's signed up for three Walking Dead movies to follow this up. Those motherfuckers. Okay, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> crazy. Oh, yeah. Three movies along with a bunch of other stuff. He's re-signed on. He will not be on any more episodes. They are time jumping at the very end of the episode. So that his daughter, which who's like three, is now like 10. So they are doing a time jump. But I think this is going to fill the gaps between the years of the time jump. What happened to Rick Grimes? Three movies. So I watched it. And I'm a lapsed Walking Dead fan because there hits points of the TV show where I'm just kind of tired of their bullshit. And it's the same old shit over and over. We got captured. 
Someone hit yeah, it's just it's it happens. I, I've seen it, I'm over it. However, I heard this is going down. I wanted to watch it for the show. And I'm watching the episode and I'm like, wow, this is this is really well done. This is really like a serious if this is his send-off. They yeah. are doing it in such a respectful way. They're doing it so respectful to the fans. They're doing it in a way where, like, when when he ultimately goes the way he's going to go, you're going to fucking feel it. Yep. And he has that moment, and he's on the bridge, and he, he survives all his trials leading up there. Even the sub story with Maggie and Negan, I thought, was was done very, very well. The whole episode was one a of the best they've ever episode. done. He blows up the bridge, and then they save him with a fucking helicopter. Like, I don't know where. Here's a helicopter. I well, the helicopter was seen many seasons ago before we stopped watching, and it's kind of like tying that bow up. I, I look, I knew something was up when they didn't show his body fly or like they, they the point of view wasn't from him exploding. And I always said they're gonna find a way to not kill him because they've killed everybody else, so it's more like. I thought it was going to be a swerve. I wasn't expecting it to be him coming back for three seasons. I thought it was going to be a swerve as open, like Dexter becoming a lumberjack. Right. It's oh, funny. the worst. Uh, it's funny because <laughs> it hits a point where <laughs> they did the thing where, you know, in the very beginning, Robert Kirkland says, Kirkman says, Kirkland, that's the, the Costco, Kirkman. The Costco Kirkman. brand that I, I often buy. Kirkman says that, oh, Rick can't die. That's like the one thing. And I, I always wondered, well, how are you going to sidestep this? Because now he he wants off the show. He his contract is up, and I'm like, okay, so they're gonna allow this. They're gonna move the show on in its own direction. That's great. And then he comes back. It's like, oh, sorry, they back the money truck up, and I don't have to work as much now. Deuces, everybody. It's, it's literally the Brock Lesnar deal. <laughs> oh, it's, he's uh... it's it's rough. It's rough. But I I I'm curious to see how it goes. Uh, I, I might even watch the next episode to see where they continue. AMC did it. I'm I'm actually very blown away. Mike, what are your thoughts? So wait a minute. This is episode five. Typically, there's like 10 episodes in a season, right? So does this mean, and you said there's a three movie deal? I, I think it's still, I think they're going to do a time jump right now. I don't know what that means and how the stories go. I really have no idea what they're so going to do that means that, But that means that the season is still continuing, right? I don't know if they used to take mid-season breaks, and I don't know if this is a mid-season break. After, it's usually after six. They'll do like six episodes, take a, like a five-year break, and then do like the next six episodes. So that's where I'm just like confused because I literally watched the episode right before we got on this call to catch up, and um, I didn't like I don't have cable, so I didn't know that they were doing all this other stuff. So I'm just kind of like, okay, yeah, I think it's a dick move. <laughs> <sighs> I mean, for us who. It is a dick move. I kind of like it. I kind of, I do like the You do fact. like a swerve. I mean, I like a good dick move sometimes too, especially when it's like, because Dexter was horrible. Dexter did it. Well, that was a giant piece of shit after, yeah, after it, season four. I mean, let's be honest. It was garbage writing and clearly the, the studio didn't have balls when they did that. Showtime didn't have balls and they right. wanted somehow to have a spinoff. In this case, I think this was all planned. I hear this was planned for years. This isn't a way to... To, to make Rick Grimes last longer. It was really just, he wants to do more, and this is, you know, he wants to do movies. The guy's actually a really good, decent actor. He's a very good actor. So I think this was a way to be able to do some movies, also do movies for AMC. They haven't specified whether these are going to be in theaters or not. Right. Uh, AMC doesn't really do movies in, for just straight to What's TV. like Prison Break, when Prison Break had the movie, and it was on right. Fox. Well, the final about? break was really just a way to cover up the fact that they had a miserable ending and they gave us the ending we truly wanted. 
And I'm glad yeah. you brought up the final break. One day we should do a whole episode just on the final break. Because the final break is one of the greatest. We're gonna fix we fucked up so bad. We're actually gonna make a movie to fix the whole fuck up. It was incredible. <sighs> it was the best because breaking prison bad on its own was the weirdest show ever. And prison break. It was a prison break. That's what we're talking about. I'm sorry, did I say breaking bad? It said prison bad. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but you know, people listening were like yelling at you right now, like he said it wrong. Sorry, the amount of want... hate, the amount of hate we get, it's okay. I mean, yeah. we still have ghost fans just wishing aids on me. I, um, you know, it is what it is. But anyway, I think if you if you want to see a great episode of Walking Dead, and you haven't seen it in a while, watch this episode. If you have your own thoughts, feel free to write to us in the comments. Let us know what you think. I am I'm very curious where this is go. I it may have got me watching again, so we'll see what happens. The Purge is almost over, too. I'm all caught up on that. I'm not caught up on that. I don't know. That's the show we're watching. That I have no idea we're watching. Oh, keep watching. That is the fucking show that I threw at you as punishment for being mean to me one week, and you got hooked, and then somehow I got hooked. Why was I mean to me? You're always... I'm... You're... Shut up. Uh, <laughs> so we'll, we'll talk about The Purge when it, the finale's over. We're not there yet, right? No. Uh, there's... Uh, two episodes left all right so we gotta mark that we'll do red dead redemption review next week right i'm still you know galloping gallop there's a lot of gallop there's a lot of horseback riding the horsey game it's a lot of horseback riding i think we should do like a version of that cover for our cover of like brokeback mountain red dead redemption yes. crossover love it uh you know i think it'll work very well anyway we have uh a segment each week that we do towards the end where we just ask our our guest or whoever else to talk about any cool thing that they love during the week uh, it could be a show, something you bought, just something you discovered, something that makes you happy, anything that just gets you, uh, just uh, shit you love, cool shit you love. Uh, is there anything, Mike, that got you excited for the week? Um, I listened to the Seth Godin, Tim Ferriss episode yesterday, and that fired me up for the rest of the week to not do anything and think about what I want to do with my life. <laughs> oh, you are one of those motivational speaker types. No, I'm just like, I don't know. I just kind of tap into... I don't know, not not getting caught up in the rush of shit. Tim Ferriss is not the eight hour work week guy, is he? Or the eight minute four work hour. week? Is four that, hour work week. Four hour is that him? Yeah. Yeah, him. yeah, yeah. I don't like him at all. I prefer the <laughs> I prefer uh the 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 uh the the start with why guy a little bit more. If we're going motivational speakers, yeah, I, as far as motivational speakers go, he's my preferred favorite. Something about Tim Ferriss, we did the like four hour body where he would basically like the amount of drugs and supplements I can do to look great without having to work out much kind of turned me off a little bit. It's that- not so much him. It's more – it's not his, his life hacking shit. It's the people he talks to who have like in my mind got success, which is skewed because if you ask them about success, they'll probably say it's no. Um, but I like there was a there was something about the talk that it like just fucking – fire me up this week and so. i'm not putting you down i'm not putting your choice down i just tim oh you're ferriss, putting me down tim, no, Fer- I can't. tim ferriss i just listened to his book i think it was the eight hour work week i'm like oh you basically have Four to start your- work week. and i'm like you have to basically like the only way this works is if you start your own company and you have like some sort of gizmo gadget that you can pawn off on everyone else to do the work and then it's, it's and it then it's like usually it, it's kind of like those pyramid scheme stuff you hear on reply all that one episode where they were just talking about like just selling bullshit on Instagram that like costs more, the shipping costs more to make. That's how you make millions or make nothing. I don't know. I, I, I'm, a, I'm of the uh, hard work makes you rich. And, and well, let me hear what made your week great well, so I can shit on that. Y- yeah, Mike. I mean, the way he's talking to you, you, you feel like you've been the co-host for 95 episodes like me. <laughs> yeah. Welcome like, to my world. 
<laughs> the Mai Tai episode, the oh, you know, my what? point is better than yours podcast. Well, that's because we, we drink way too much before we get on this show. <laughs> Hambo, what cool shit do you love this week? So this Friday, I'm going to uh, see some professional wrestling with Don Becker. Ooh, what are you going to go see? We're going to NEW Wrestling, and we are going to see Kenny Omega fight Ray Phoenix. And it just keeps getting better. So I'm, I'm finally going get, to get to see uh, Rob Van Dam versus Jack Swagger, whatever he's calling himself now, which should be fun. Rob uh, Van Dam's wrestling He's still? wrestling, yeah. Occasionally. I'm sure he's in great shape. See, this is what I'm talking about, Mike. Just, just let let the, let's well, shit no, break I'm through. Sure, I'm sure he's in good yeah. shape. That was a very nice thing. I mean, he only does his yoga and smoke pot. Yeah, so he's got to be in good shape. But what I'm really excited about is uh, I'm gonna finally get to see PCO without having to go to like any like crazy extreme wrestling federation. I've been wanting to see PCO for a while. I love his videos. I met him at All In. I get to see him wrestle, and it should be fucking awesome. I hope Destro's there too. What is PCO? Uh, Pierre Carl Alette. He used to be. Um, Oh, fuck. He was a wrestler for WWE, uh, the Quebecers, mm-hmm. and he's recently come back to professional wrestling, or he's now in the spotlight again, let me say. He's like 51 years old. He's in the best shape of his life. He does these crazy videos as if he is like a Frankenstein's monster, and he's got a guy named Destro who used to be a bodybuilding champion who like every week will like put like jumper cables on him, and he makes him like rip decks of cards with his mouth, and he does like crazy like weights. Today, they were like, we need to get a new bed for PCO, so they went to a mortuary. They carried a coffin out. They left the body in front of the mortuary. They put the coffin in the hearse, and they drove off. It's awesome. I'm so glad you're excited. I'm so excited. I actually would have loved to have gone to that event, but Don Becker bought tickets before I even knew about it. Uh, no, he put it up in the group who wants to go, and I was like, <laughs> I will go, and like no one else was like, I'll go. So me and Don are going, and it's going to be a blast. Speaking of which, how excited are you for WrestleMania tickets to go on sale? Oh, I am very excited now that I know what date they're going on sale. I've been looking for a pre-sale code for it, but I can't find one. Yeah, I don't know. what well, Is there a pre-sale dates yet? I haven't seen pre-sale dates either. There's this one site that comes up. It's a like a, a wrestling toy figure site where like oh hey the pre-sale is going to be on the 14th here's the pre-sale code i just think it's sketchy because it's the only thing popping yeah, up there also hasn't been anything said about a pre-sale date so i don't believe it no i said the date would be the 14th because it goes on sale the 16th and here's the pre-sale code but that's you know you're not there i'm very very excited to see how much we spend in a very short amount of time on tickets because it's... we're also going to nxt and i'm going to and we're going to joey ryan's penis party yeah yeah i know I know. I'm so excited. But it's your birthday present. So I'm turning 40. I've never seen you so excited to go to something. So I will go with you, and hopefully I will have a good time, too. You'll have a blast. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm very excited about that. I uh, Look, I thank you very much for joining the show today, Mike. How can the kids find you? Uh, you can check out thiswasthescene.com or just go on a podcast and check out This Was The Scene or you can Instagram it and look at This Was The Scene. I don't want to. There's other ways, but that's just like I don't want to drown this out with that shit. <laughs> uh, Hambone, how can the kids uh, kids find you? <laughs> oh, my you? music's back. I do it at the end. I've I, always done I it know. at the end. So you can find me on Instagram at John Hambone McGuire, where I'm constantly promoting the different podcasts I produce and also just posting pictures up of cool shit that I like. You could find me uh, for the Casual Interactions podcast or the Vintage RPG podcast wherever podcasts are found. Hey, I'm George. You can reach me at cultofgeorge.com. I'm slowly getting the punk rock canon transcribed. Last week I posted the Doggy Dog interview. I made that much more exciting. Amazing. Then uh, I cleaned it up a lot. I think it, it reads very well. Very nice. Uh, you can find me at GLK Creative on Instagram, on GLK Creative on the Twitters. Our archive is at MyTieTV.com. We are also going to be live streaming again soon. 
It's just, you know, we got to get back into our live stream shape. We're doing a lot of exercising. Got to yeah. drop the pounds. I stopped eating carbs. We're getting there. We're getting there. We'll soon be on <laughs> video again. Anyway, you, we'd appreciate it if everybody would rate, review, and subscribe. Let us know what you think in the comments. We'll have the Punk Rock Cannon for this week up. Let us know if Lagwagon's Haas belongs in there. Hamboned, take us out. Everybody remember, be nice. Aloha. Душу свело.